Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do indeed have a, a sense of humour. And how often we forget that. But we also know that you are a God who has uh, called us to follow you and follow you closely. And uh, we thank you for this, your written word. And may the Spirit enlighten our hearts and our minds now as we go through this act of worship now together. May we leave here knowing not only that we have uh, met with each other, but that we have met with you, the risen God. And that's through Jesus, the Son's name, that we pray and the power of the Holy Spirit lives within us and activates us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Because the sermon is part of worship. A lot of people and a lot of churches don't seem to realise that it is, so they neglect it. And when I was growing up, my favourite question, as I'm sure it is for most children, was, why? Why is it so? And of course, being a child, that question came to mind for all sorts of things. And I'm sure you've heard the kids saying it around Walmart frequently to their parents or their guardians. And we've all got questions, I'm sure, about why. So our theme today is, as we've heard, I will share my faith. And our key text is taken from the passage in Luke, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, has been doing all sorts. And... Uh, Read from verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, Look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. And our key text for today for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So getting back to why, why did Jesus say that he came to seek and save the lost? And how did he do it? And how does he still do it today? And getting back to our question, why are we to share our faith? And hopefully by the end, which should be about dinner time, we'll have at least answered those two questions a little. So why is it so? Let me start our journey today by telling you my, my story, my testimony. That's a pretty good place to start and what most people consider to be the pinnacle of evangelism. But before I do this, I will say this. A Christian testimony is more than just saying how a person became a Christian. It should also include why that person became a Christian. So here's mine. And I'm often asked it because I interact with a lot of people every day. My father was, and throughout his life, remained a confirmed agnostic come atheist. And he had, uh, we had very few conversations when it comes to regarding Christianity and religion. And he could never understand why it was that I became a Christian, or that, why could I not just not admit that I would never know if God had existed or not, far less a God who was personally interested in me. 
In his mind, churches were dangerous places and Christians were merely deluded. And my reply as ever was, well, you taught me to ask the question, why? So that's what I've done. So why am I a Christian? The reason that I am not a Christian is not because I chased God, but that God was chasing me. Unknown to me at the time, God was chasing me and following my every path with the urgency of a lover after the beloved. And how did that happen? As I said, I was raised to be an agnostic, come atheist. And as a teenager, I was actually invited to a church. And I subsequently accepted that invitation. I thought, well, if church is so dangerous, let's go for a bit of danger. How's that for a bit of teenage rebellion against your parents? <laughs> My father probably regretted it. So I rebelled and went to church, and after a few weeks became a Christian. Much to the dismay of my father, who as I said could never understand why I would want to be one of those silly Christians. And so at that church it was the first time that I ever heard of God's love for me. That I was indeed apart from God. And that this God had been on a mission to seek me, Dave Roberts, and change me from being lost and apart from him to being found by him and accepted as his child. Can you say, wow? Wow. By the way, wow in this context stands for worthy of worship, which is indeed what our God is, is it not? Yep, keep saying it, brother. You'll get the right accent eventually. <laughs> and it was amazing news to me as a teenager, back as I said, 300 years ago now. Additionally, it was not in my search for him <coughs> that I found him, but rather through his search for me that I found him. It was there that I discovered there was nothing I could do in order to be reconciled to this God, but that he had done all when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and rose again from the dead. How are we doing with that screen, Michelle? Where, what slide am I supposed to be on? <laughs> Just click. You can click again now. There we go. See, I don't even know who I am. So what is the answer to why I am a Christian? I'm a Christian not through anything I have done or from my own pursuit of God, but rather I'm a Christian because of God's pursuit of me. In continuing with our topic of today about sharing our faith, what is the goal or aim of a person being a Christian and a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ? Is it praying a lot? Is it perhaps reading and uh, memorizing the whole Bible. Because of my slow I have trouble remembering what I did 10 minutes ago, let alone what I'm reading here. Perhaps by doing lots of evangelism, sharing our faith avidly, or doing lots of work for the church. Is that what the goal of a Christian is to be? And as admirable and as important as those things are, they are not the prime focus and goal for those of us who would call ourselves Christians. Now that's for a well word now for you. <coughs> Click. <laughs> there we go. When we were in London at our large church, we would go and go off to this little restaurant called Wong Keys. It was a Chinese restaurant. And at the time it was renowned as the rudest restaurant in London. They knew we were Christians, 
And as we went into the group and went up and said, oh, they're the little Christians, little Jesuses. But you know what? That's what a Christian is to be, isn't it? Little Jesus. And the ultimate goal for any Christian is to walk and live as Jesus did. We are to be little Jesuses. And being this Jesus to other people is <coughs> the evangelism of being. It means for us to be living lives so worthy of that of Jesus Christ whom we as Christians claim to follow. It means for us to deny ourselves and be relying on God for everything in all things. And it can't be done in our own power or our own energy or our own esteem, but it can only be done by total submission to the Holy Spirit and a life of constantly dealing with God in all matters. How's your wow factor now? Well, you can say it's better than that. I, I heard these guys were the loudest in America. <laughs> and you know what? That's how Christians are to be radical and endeavouring to reach the goal of being Jesus to others. It's done by a constant renewing of the mind and having a heart willing to be transformed. A life transformation, just as Zacchaeus and his life transformed. And the evangelism of being is done by loving others in such a way that the end of a Christian's generosity is only when the resources have expired. The evangelism of being is by loving others so much that people will wonder what is so different about you as a Christian that they will ask why we do what we do. When was the last time you were asked that question by somebody outside the church? And they will ask why we call ourselves Christians. And for those of us who are shy, because I am a pretty shy person outside of here, you put me up in front of a hundred people, I'm fine. But don't you dare ask me to go talk to someone that I don't know. <laughs> Can't do it. Never been able to do it. Sometimes I can, but not often. That's the evangelism of being when people who are outside the church notice we are so different that they ask us why we are Christians and how they can become like us. Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, it will permeate every facet of your life. Every facet of your life. Not just one little bit, not just two little bits, not just a hundred little bits, all of it. That is what our life is to be. A Christian is a messenger of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you are also a message from Jesus Christ. Whether we want to be or not. And the way we conduct ourselves, as Alfie said, both in public and private, shows this Jesus that we follow to others. How is your well factor now, huh? Wow. Well, you're getting louder. <laughs> Click! That's the evangelism of being, but there's also the evangelism of doing. St. Francis of Assisi once said, Preach the gospel and use the words if necessary. Well, apologies, St. Francis, but what a load of rubbish. <coughs> That's not what Jesus said. In some of his final words, Jesus said, You go and teach others about me. And teaching involves words and speaking. 
And as we heard from Alfie, evangelism is telling and showing others of God's message of reconciliation to all people of all times. God has a message for all people of all places and all times, and this message says that everybody has done wrong against him, nobody can earn their reconciliation with him to right those wrongs, and that God sent his very own son to be born, crucified, and resurrected so that salvation can be had by all people of all time and all nations. That's the message of evangelism we share. That's the message of evangelism of doing and sharing our faith. As I said before, evangelism is also our lifestyle. Evangelism is both being and doing. They are not mutually exclusive. And all Christian disciples are called to do the work of an evangelism. Not everyone will be called to be specifically to be uh, evangelists like Billy Graham. Yet we who call ourselves Christians, who are followers of Jesus, are called to do the work of evangelism by sharing, telling and showing others Jesus Christ. And we're to stay faithful to Jesus and sometimes I know it can be very difficult. Been there, done that got about a million t-shirts. None of them say, well, and that means staying faithfully obedient to him regardless of all opposition and alternatives. So now you may be asking, how are the being and the doing linked? And the key link between the evangelism of being and the evangelism of doing is to verbally identify with Jesus Christ. We can click. And it's by magic. As a Christian, perhaps the main way to verbally identify with Jesus is to project the idea that you are not your own boss. You are to project that Jesus is your Lord and you are to let him take both the strains and the glory. Remember, those that reject you also reject him. And in the Western world, that's a bit counter-cultural, isn't it? As we're told, it's all about us. Aren't we? And what are some keys to identifying with Jesus? Imagine you're in a situation and you have to make a decision about what you will do. What do you do? Well, here's some questions you can ask yourself. Well, does it bring God glory in that situation? Can I thank God for this activity? And could Jesus... A company that build Christian character will it cause another Christian to sin or to stumble? Will it control me habitually? If there's any doubt, throw it out. You can ask other people for advice. Pastor Don, even Luke, I'm sure, will help you out. <laughs> Probably. And it's important what other people think. And finally, we have to abstain from all appearances of evil. I've been talking to some people while I've been here, and I said, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, if he was to write a church letter to the, was, would be a lullaby, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, if he was, if he was going to, compared to him, if he was going to write a letter to the church here today, one couldn't be a lullaby compared to what Paul was like, wouldn't it? state of the church in America, or in Britain, or in the Western world. But as ever there are barriers to overcome, 
Click. Amazing. Technology today. And with all that said, what is the message we're to share with those who are not Christians? The message we're to share, that of evangelism, is this. Jesus Christ was a man born to die. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. When God, was outside of both time and space, entered history in the form of a human baby. His purpose, as explained in our text of Luke 19.10, was for the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. How did Jesus do that? The answer is in Mark 10, verse 45, where Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That's our message. And the cross of Jesus Christ is central to the gospel message we are to share. And why is the cross so central to the gospel? The message we share, Paul's gospel message, was Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel is central to, uh, the, the gospel is the cross of Jesus, and that's why it's so central. The important as incarnation, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ are, without Jesus' death on the cross, there would be no Christianity. And subsequently, there would be no hope for the world. And therefore, the interpretation that we place on Jesus' death on the cross is paramount. That he died is without doubt. But again, getting back to that little three-letter word, why? Why did he have to die, and what gain do we have as his disciples? Well, by his very nature, God is loving, compassionate, forgiving, uh, faithful, and slow to anger. That's the part, if we're honest, we are most comfortable with. Mm. Yet God is holy, righteous, and just, and we must punish sin and wickedness because of this very same nature. And that's part. That's the part we, as 21st century people, are probably most uncomfortable with. We like to think of God as being all love and meek and gentleness, something we can put into a little box. We don't like to think of him as a judge who must punish disobedience, do we? And we need to remember that God also loves righteousness and hates wickedness, and therefore sin and disobedience of humans must be dealt with and it cannot simply be ignored. Sin or wickedness is humanity's problem. Sin is what separates humans from God and as a consequence leads to both a spiritual and a physical death. Nobody escapes because everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's standards. In the Old Testament, sins were dealt with by blood sacrifice and atonement as coverings for sin. Because as the writer of the Hebrews remind us, without the shedding of blood there could be no remission of sin. And the solution Let's have God come to the rescue. The solution not lies in those continual animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, because the blood of animals could not take away the sin, it was only a veneer or a covering. And that was why it was necessary to be repeated time and time again. It was only through the death of Jesus, who was the Son of God, that sin was taken away. And that was only needed Therefore, Jesus is the permanent sacrificial substitute. And how is he the substitute? Jesus died for our sins. 
the one who was just dying for the unjust. That is how God is both the just and justifier of sinners. And that's why Jesus needed to be what we claim fully God and fully human. Because he was, if he neglected either, then he couldn't be what God required. It wouldn't have the permanent consequences of sin. And the substitute was the sacrifice recorded, uh, required in order that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, could take away the sins of the world. He was in that one of those big Bible words, the propitiation for all sins. And you're thinking to myself, what does he mean by propitiation? It's a dirty word in some church circles. A recent book by Rob Bell decried it. Much to his uh, disappointment. We hope he turns. But propitiation is the turning aside of God's anger by the offering of Jesus as the sacrifice. As we said, towards sin and sinful behaviour, God has great fury, anger and wrath. We are reminded it's dreadful to fall into the hands of the living God. But he is slow to anger and he is quick to forgive. In God's anger and judgment of sin, through the propitiation of Jesus, falls on Jesus instead of us. And we need to approach God to appease his anger in order to accept it. And we do that with love. And what is love? 1 John 4 verse 10. <coughs> this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice of propitiation to take away our sins. And as I said, to some people in the church today, this is a moral. <coughs> the very thought that God would willingly send his son to be a blood sacrifice for sin is tantamount to child abuse, say some Christians. Atheists call Jesus' crucifixion in those terms an act of sadomasochism. And neither of those opinions are either valid or true. God's requirements are very clear. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And if there were any other way, would not God have done it that other way? And not only was it a propitiation, but it was also an act of redemption. In the time of the New Testament, the word was used to refer to the buying back of a slave. God paid redemption so that humans could be freed from the slavery to sin. The price was paid and we are redeemed with the blood of Christ. And as Christian disciples, we were bought at that price and we have a new position before God. We are also Jesus' personal possession. But it's our responsibility to choose that way. God does not coerce forcefully. He leaves us a choice. Because if he did not leave us a choice, then it would not be love, would it? And what's our response to this to be? Sacrifice, substitution, propitiation and redemption can be summed up in that one little four little word, love. 1 John 3.16 states, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus told us, to take up our cross if we were to follow him and be his disciple. 
And you as a Christian, if you hear what today, we need to take up your cross and do all you can to love other people, <coughs> loving others into the kingdom of God, loving those people that you don't like, <coughs> those people who are down the road are a bit smelly, they have a shower once a year whether they need it or not, or is that just me? I had mine last night. He had to hold me under. But it's loving others into the kingdom to love them so much they will want to follow Jesus just as we are. What's the word? Click. And being in the kingdom of God, that's it. Alfie's on top of the world. You'll notice that the world is around the right way. There's Australia at the top. <laughs> you guys have got it all wrong. Americans, Americans and Brits think they rule the world. Being in the kingdom of God means we have a view of the world that is different from those outside of the church. And despite objectives and objections from them, our view of the world matters. Because our worldview is different from theirs. How we view the world is our message and the lifestyle that we share. Everybody has a worldview. We're surrounded by all sorts of them through our media, our friends, our workplaces, in our governments and in our education systems. Atheism, Islam and all the other isms have worldviews which encroach on the Christian worldview. Let's take one example. Atheism. Atheism is spreading in our countries in the West. Personally, I don't think there is anything such as atheism, but we can argue about that later. However, atheism and their views are entirely theoretical, and they're all based entirely upon presupposed disavowal on disbelief in any form of deity, whether it's a personal deity or an impersonal deity, and a belief that any kind of faith is blind, non-evidential, and irrational. Atheists say that humans are merely a dot in the vast web of life. If you contrast that growing view against the Christian worldview, which says that humanity, both male and female, were made in the image of God and were the pinnacle of creation and that humans were made to reflect the divine. Bit of a contrast there, isn't there? And when God created humanity, it was in his image that they were created. And the whole person is valuable to God. Other philosophies and religions have tried to portray the body as evil or irrelevant. And this has crept into some parts of Christianity with the tradition of uh, priestly celibacy and asceticism. And a breakdown in any of these areas causes imbalance in the other areas. For example, research has shown that sometimes physical sickness can be caused through emotional turmoil. And studies have also revealed that mental illness may occasionally be caused through guilt or unconforgiveness. And as humans we are created in his image, and as Christians we were bought at a price when Jesus died on the cross. And what would a Christian worldview look like? It would include the following. God created humanity. In his own image, therefore, humans are higher than the animal world for which humanity has <coughs> to care for and be stewarded over. Humanity subsequently rebelled and disobeyed God, and God then took the initiative and promised a way out through his chosen Messiah. And we know that this Messiah was Jesus Christ, and he had simultaneously both human and divine natures. 
It was he who, as God, stepped into history and became confined for a short while by time and space. Jesus was born so that when he died on the cross, it was to pay the price so that all of humanity could be free from slavery, the sin and disobedience, if only they chose to accept and believe in him as God. Jesus rose again physically from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. How's your wow word now? And what happens to those who don't accept him? They'll spend eternally apart from him. Jesus is the only way to God, and all other paths lead to destruction. That's why Christianity is the only true and permanent hope in this world. None of the other isms, or atheism, or Islam, can guarantee salvation for its adherents. We might be there, we might not. Only Christianity can say yes. And as Christians, we're living in the 21st century, we are to place God first, others second, and ourselves last. Apple wouldn't like that. That's why they put everything behind. That's the path the Christian disciples to walk, following and serving both God and others. It's done by taking up a cross, just as Jesus took up his cross, and following his life devoted to being the servant of others. As Christians, we have God and the person of the Holy Spirit living inside us as a deposit and a seal of our future life with Jesus. And with his help, we are being transformed into the very image of Jesus. And if we as Christians want people to come into our churches, if we want them to ask us for the reason why we are Christians and doing the things we do, if we want them to become followers of Jesus Christ just as we are, then we need to be seen to be Jesus to them. If they see our lives being transformed, guess what? They will ask. They will ask. And despite appearances, I am a Christian first and an Australian second. Just as if you were an American, you are to be a Christian first and an American second. And sometimes we get those around the wrong way, don't we? I know I've been guilty of it before. And God earnestly seeks that his people, those who call themselves Christian, to be obedient to him. And you know what? It grieves God when those who call themselves Christian, who claim to be following him, are actively disobedient against him. And we have choices to make in our daily life. Do we conform to the world with Jesus Christ? We are to be in the world, but we are not to take on the values of the world. That's the command of Jesus who is to be our master. And as we start to wind things up now, I'll ask yet more questions, because I always ask questions. And sometimes it's hard to ask these questions because I'm aware that I'm not only speaking to you, but I'm also speaking to myself. I did ask God if I could skip over them, but as usual I was told to behave and just get on with it. I can normally tell when God's got his hand just about here to cut my ears. Several times. But I won't go into that. First question is, which gospel message are we sharing with others by being and doing? 
Is it the message we heard earlier and is expressed by Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Or do we deliberately or inadvertently live and tell another gospel, just as they were in Ephesus when Paul wrote to them? Which God do we tell others about? Is it the God of the Bible who is triunity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, of whom humanity is made in the image of? Or is it some kind of other God that we've made up in our own image? Click. Which Jesus do we confess and live for? Is it the Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest? Put on my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that the Jesus that you share with people? Is it the Jesus who was welcoming to all, but made demands on them in order to transform them? Such as Zacchaeus? Or the rich young man who came running up to Jesus, but left the sport demands made upon him by Jesus? Or the woman at the well who had her sins forgiven, but was told by Jesus to stop her lifestyle? of sin. Because we like to do one, but we don't like to do the other, do we? With the Jesus, we share some kind of modern day Jesus who makes no demands at all. And I've heard some preachers preach it. And some churches do indeed preach and teach that kind of insipid, powerless, nodding head sort of Jesus. I bet you're telling evangelists do it. Hmm? Next question, are we wanting to enjoy all the benefits of being a Christian? Things such as our salvation, our sins being forgiven, access to that glorious throne of grace, and having those things without enjoying the joy giver who wants to transform us into the image of this Jesus we are to be. It is simply idolatry to want to enjoy the benefits without enjoying and submitting the benefit giver. This giver who is the majestic king, who is the only true God. It is idolatry because those other things are taking precedence over worship to the king. Are you guilty of that form of idolatry? Next question. Are we, as 21st century believers, <coughs> as part of our taking for granted our salvation by not meeting together with other Christians when we can and have the time? And if we aren't, why are our prayer meetings and church services not filled with Christians wanting to worship, be taught and to pray for this church, this town and the mission work in this nation around the world? And question six. We in the UK and the USA and most of the Western world Regularly take for granted the opportunity to tell those who are not Christians about this God of love we claim to serve. We have to make a choice of submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit, follow <coughs> Jesus closely to the praise and honour of God the Father. His light is to shine out from us into our communities that are in spiritual darkness, dying to know personally our majestic God who is King. We are to let his love shine out of us as we learn and submit to him, loving others 
and loving each other to reflect the God of love. We have to put our thinking and doctrine of God into practice. And that's evangelism. Sharing Jesus. And if the God we serve is a majestic king who is personal, ageless, without decay or corruption, invisible, and the only God, then we are duty-bound to tell and show others about him. Engaging in the evangelism of being and the evangelism of doing. And after all, each of us who are Christians here today are in part because somebody, somewhere, and at some time, took the time to tell us about the offer to succumb to the fathomless patience and pursuit of Jesus and accept him as master of our lives. Are you ready? How's your wow? Wow. So how do we conclude? The key verse for today was from Luke chapter 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man came to speak and to save the lost. It speaks about the love that God has for his people and the energy he puts into calling people to himself. God is always reaching out and he's always willing for people to return to his arms. As I said earlier, it wasn't until I was in my teenage years that I heard that I needed to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Saviour. Before that, I didn't know I had to do anything with this Jesus. Jesus was only a, a curse word at the time for me, or uh, just someone or something that the religious education teachers bored me with at school. Even back then, I could sleep with my eyes open. And in my more smug moments, even today, I like to think that God is a jolly lucky God that that he had me, Dave Roberts, as one of his children, and he should thank his lucky stars that I was a Christian and not some other kind of person. And that's when I'm reminded by him, as I said, I normally know when his hand's about to clip my ear, when I'm reminded by him that we are primarily Christians, not because we come to church services, we just happen to be born in a supposedly Christian country, but we are primarily Christians because God first and chased and harried us into his arms. He chased us until we caught him. And you are a Christian if you are one, because God first loved you as a tremendous lover, God beckons and calls people of all time to respond to his call and back to him. And as Christians, we are to go out of here and show our new life, new hope, empowered and self-safeguarded by God's power alone which we engage in the evangelism of being and the evangelism of doing. And as Christians, we have good news for this world. You know what? It's up to us to go out living in the joy of salvation. God's not going to send angels. That's why he has us. How about you go be an angel for somebody? It's up to us to share and to show others about this great God of salvation and the joy we claim to follow love and worship. And being a Christian is to be for 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52.4 weeks a year. No point just being a nice little Christian on a Sunday and not showing up for the rest of the week. That kind of faith is insipid, isn't it? You know what, it won't last. And that kind of Christianity isn't even Christianity. It's called potluck. It's a lazy and insipid form of religion. And for sure, as Christians, we will be alienated by some as we go about sharing with others about our faith and living out what we truly believe about the God we worship. But you know what? We'll also be embraced by others. God is for us. 
who then shall we fear? And Alfie said, God is a God who is on a mission. <coughs> and we, the church, the Christians, are also on a mission to share about this God. And we have to take risks in order to engage this mission. Church history and history itself is filled with churches that failed to adapt and take the mission adventures that were given to them. The church, both as individual members and the church here at Embry, need to be reaching out, including those forgotten people in our community. History is filled with churches who did not evangelize, who did not share their faith, and had to put the for sale sign up on the building. Would you like this church building to be turned into the general store? Or even a hostelry, a pub? It's happening in England. And you also know that as Christians will be held accountable by God. We'll be held accountable by him for what we've done with what we've been given. It includes our time. We'll be held accountable by the God we came to follow for the opportunities we've been given to share our faith. How do you well now? Will we hold accountable, not for our salvation, because our salvation is guaranteed. Our salvation is guaranteed by grace alone, and not through the works that we do. But rather we will be held accountable for the rewards and our place in the new kingdom to come. And that's perhaps for another day, hey? Almost there, I promise you I'm almost there. Embry United Methodist Church is to be a community of love, the community in which it is based. This is to be a love experience that of the God of love. The love which looks not to its own interests, but to the interests of others. See those other people around you, including the ones that are sleeping, you ought to sacrificially love them. Even if you don't like them, or even if you don't know them. And if they're sleeping, give them a prop in your elbow. That's what my wife does to me. Just love others and not just those friends and those you like. God loves you. Let's go from here, reflecting the God we claim to love, follow and obey. And I look forward to hearing from Pastor Don and from Michelle at the back how this church is affecting the community here for Jesus and him alone. And finally, 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 as I finish, I'm compelled to say this. Maybe you are here today and you would not call yourself a Christian. And please do not leave here today without asking somebody here about how you can become one and start this new life of transformation. And you can have this new hope which only those who are called Christians can claim. God the Father, God the Father's love is calling you. God the Father has chosen you. God the Holy Spirit is waiting to set you apart and cleanse you. And God the Son is waiting to embrace you. Because it was only through his obedient sacrifice that you can come to know God personally. In a living, loving, and dynamic relationship. And what's the magic word? Wow! Oh, come on, you did better than that! Wow!